that we had lined up, so you don't even have to worry about it, Tiffany. Let's pray. Hey, God, I just want to stop for a second. I'm so thankful that you inspired uh, Pastor Dave to pick that song this morning. Lord God, we want to just stop right where we're at right now and realign ourselves, God. We want to take this moment to say, God, Jesus, be my center. God, help us right now to take all the other things and move them to the outside fringe. God, just fill us with your presence and your person. God, we know that you literally dwell within us. Uh, Fill us up, God, so that you are at the center of our being. Focus us, God. Remind us of who we are most, and that's your children, God. Everything else, God, just just push it off to the sides or, or take the burdens from us, God. Any worries, any concerns, any struggles, financial concerns, God, take it. God, take our, our self-hate and our, and our worries and our anxiousness about things in life, the things that distract us, God, the relationships that have hurt us or, or are troubling us right now, God, take the weight of that from us. And then help us to just Relax into your arms and be yours. We love you, Lord. Be our center. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we may be fewer in number this morning, but you guys are mighty because of a mighty God, so no worries. How's everybody doing? This section's good. How's this section? Jerry's good. Marvelous. Woo. I like marvelous. Hey, we are in a three-week series about spiritual health, where we're coming before God and we're saying, God, show me where I'm struggling spiritually. Show me where my health with you is weak. Show me where I need to grow. Show me where I need to trust in you more. Show me how to know you more. Last week, we talked about a certain part of the anatomy. Anybody remember? The pop quiz. Anyone? No heart we're talking about this week. Good guess, though. It was on our head. Ears. Last week, we talked about our ears and how God wants us to hear him. And we did an old Jewish prayer, the Shema, that's found in Deuteronomy and Numbers. And we said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That was a focusing prayer for the Jews, is a focusing prayer for them. And I, I really suggest that we need something like that. So I don't know what you do in your own personal quiet time. I don't know what you do in your, your normal daily prayers. But I think if we each found some way to recenter and refocus ourselves on a daily basis, saying, God, you are the God, you are my God, and I want to love you with everything, then we'd be starting in a pretty good spot, wouldn't we? And God says he wants all of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. That's what we're going to be talking about today, the heart. Uh, But just as a reminder, as far as our spiritual health, where are we going with things? How are we approaching 
where we're at with God. Step one is we have to choose. I think we've got a slide for this. We have to choose to prioritize our spiritual health and where we're at, our relationship with God. We have to say, it's important enough to me, God, to know you and to connect with you that I will prioritize you. Just like when you decide you want to start changing your physical health or shape, you prioritize exercise, you prioritize going to the doctor, you take the right medication, you eat the right foods, you cut back and eat hopefully less of the bad foods. Step two, we have to consult our experts, okay? If you are feeling sick, you're going to go to a doctor. If you're wanting to lose weight, you might go to a physical trainer or a dietitian. If you are looking to have some help with your brain because you're having trouble focusing lately or remembering things, you're going to go to a number of different sources. Uh, you might go to a brain surgeon. You might go to somebody that could help you do mental exercises that would help your acuity. So you go to the expert and invite them to give you their inspiration. In fact, a lot of times you go to one doctor and then you might go to another doctor. And what do we call that? Getting a second opinion. So you care about the opinion of the expert, right? So if we're caring about our relationship with God, if we're caring about our spiritual condition and well-being, who's our expert? Real easy answer, right? We're going to go to God and we're going to say, God, give me the one and only opinion that really matters in this area. No second opinion needed. We might ask him to repeat himself, though, huh? Step three, we have to focus our efforts, and that's what we're doing in these three weeks. So last week we talked about ears. This week we're talking about the heart. And next week we'll talk about our eyes. All right, let's go to the next slide. Here we go. This is the prayer from last week. If you could read it along with me, I know it's kind of funky to try to pronounce Hebrew, but if you read it, it's spelt in the way that it sounds, sort of. So with me, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. In fact, this might work better if you repeat after me. Let's try that again. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Okay, here comes the fun part. Ve'ahavta Adonai Eloeha. Behold Avavka, Uvahol Navshika, Uvahol Meodeha. You can repeat the English with me. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I have in my pocket a rock that I grabbed on the camp out last night. I didn't leave the campground last night until about midnight, which was a mistake because it's a two and a half hour drive. So this morning I got here whew, bright and early and slept for a few hours and then got up. But this rock I grabbed shortly before I left off of the North Jetty, or yes, the North Jetty right there near the mouth of the Columbia River where it meets with the ocean and you've got salt water and fresh water mixing. And I grabbed this rock because last night Jeff Kennedy and I took a number of the kids out and had them casting and fishing right there on the bank uh, into the waves, had a blast with these kids um, as some of them are touching a fishing pole for the first time, others were pros, and we spent a lot of time untangling things. And I caught a rock? No, I did not catch a rock. We actually didn't catch anything. Sad day. That's why they call it fishing, right? Not catching. <laughs> so we were out there. I only got, I did get caught once. One of the kids cast and yanked the back of my leg, so I've got a nice little mark from that. But I grabbed this rock because 
we were having an absolute blast out there. It was freezing cold. The wind's blowing. There's birds all over the place. The waves are coming up. Our feet are wet. It's really cold, but we're having a blast. Grant Gosh is out there learning how to cast, and he's throwing, and the wind would carry his lure way down past all of us, and he'd catch a log on the beach, and we'd all laugh. And just these kids were, they were captivated by the ocean, by the experience, by the wind, tasting the salt in the air, all of it. You know what I mean? They were just, I don't know, overjoyed and ecstatic and laughing and, and helping each other and not catching anything, but still enjoying everything about it. And what I want to know from you is when is the last time you were captivated, like truly overwhelmed, captivated by God? When is the la- think about that. When is the last time you sat back and you're like, wow, God? Wow. You know? Friday? Yesterday? Last time you had a conversation with your daughter. It happens in lots of different ways. For whatever reason, in some moment, God shows up in a way that we're just like, wow. Like when you're standing on the, I'm, I'm standing on the edge of this jetty right there at the ocean and the river, and nature is beautiful, and the wind is howling, and it's cold, and the kids are laughing, and I was captivated. I, I was just overwhelmed with how great it was to be in that moment. And afterwards, we're packing all the gear up as the, the sun's completely gone and it's gotten dark. And they're like, I'm freezing, but that sure was fun. Can we go again tomorrow? And I grabbed a rock that was down there at my feet because I wanted to remember how they responded to that moment. And I want to respond to God that way more. I want to be captivated and overwhelmed and overjoyed with my God more often. And when he says that he wants us to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, that's what I picture. I picture being overwhelmed, being filled, and just, wow, God. That's what I picture with loving God with all my heart. Because I know that loving God with all my heart can't mean loving God perfectly because I'm not capable of that. I've tried. But I can be overwhelmed to the point where I'm just like, wow, God. Where God just shows up and I can do nothing else but soak him up and drink him in. You know what I mean? All right, on the next slide we've got some, I think, some Bible passages here we're going to walk through. Read this one out loud with me, if you would. It's from Mark. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Does that sound familiar? It should. That's taken directly from that Shema prayer that Jews have been saying for centuries. And Jesus was questioned by some religious lawyers, these guys that wanted to trick him and wanted to try to pin him down. And they said, so what's the one most important commandment of the Bible? And Jesus' response was to to say the Shema. The Lord alone is our God. Listen to him. Love him with all that you have. And then he added one commandment to that. He said the second one's like it. Do you remember what the second commandment was? Love your neighbor as yourself. You got it. All right, next passage. This is from Jeremiah back in the Old Testament. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me, 
and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now, that's a passage that we hear a lot of times, and we always focus on the fact that God has plans for our life and plans to prosper us or, or good plans, plans not to harm us, and that's all a great part of the passage. But there in that second half, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you when we seek with all our heart. All right, next passage. Here's from Proverbs. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to your whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. There should be some more of the verse. There we go. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It says guard your heart because it aims or, or steers your entire being. The heart, throughout the Bible, whenever you read the passages about the heart, it's talking about all of us. Like, it literally means everything about you, every fiber of your being, your soul, your center, who you are. So when God says, I want you to love me with all of your heart, <laughs> he's really saying, I want you to love me with everything that you are, everything that I've put in you, everything that is actually, essentially you. I want the very fiber of who you are to love me and respond to me. Guard your heart. The heart is the center of our being. That's what goes in that blank there. The heart is the center of our being. I've got a quote I want to read to you. Actually, two quotes. One is from George Bernard Shaw, and he says, There are two tragedies in life. One is to lose your heart's desire, and the other is to gain it. <laughs> Here's another one. This is from Thomas Merton. A life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. No man can serve two masters. That should sound familiar. Your life is shaped by the end that you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. Guard your heart. The heart is the center of our being. It steers us in life. Put steers in that blank on the third statement there. Your heart steers you. If you want to know what somebody really, really cares about, if you want to know what somebody's passionate about, what somebody's captivated by, what somebody loves, look at where they spend their time. Look at where they spend their money. Look at where they spend their vacation time and their time off of work in a day. If you want to know something about somebody, if you want to know something that fuels them and that they love doing, look at how they spend their time and their money. Because when you really desire something, when, when something is that thing in your life that you just love. Like I, I mentioned my friend Jeff Kennedy and I took a bunch of kids out fishing. I love to fish, but I don't spend a whole lot of time doing it. So it's somewhere on my list of priorities, but it's not near the top. Now, if you know Jeff, he loves to fish. And when I say he loves to fish, he loves to fish. 
He will go fishing right after he gets out of work most afternoons. He's die, he'll call people up and say, hey, can you go fishing? Hey, can you go fishing? He's always got fishing poles in his truck. He's always got all his gear ready to go. Any vacation he gets, guess what he's thinking about? He's looking online. He's saying, there's got to be somewhere near there I can fish. There's got to be. <laughs> he gets to fish more often than you think. If you were to look at Michael Jordan back in the day, what would you say he's passionate about? Basketball. Did it pay off for him? Yeah, it did. Do you know what he would do? Do you know how he would prepare to play? He'd play. He'd practice. Yeah. Any guesses how often he would practice or how much? Yep, he was averaging 8 to 10 hours a day, at least 5 or 6 days a week of practice. Yep. He was relentless. He was passionate. He gave it his all. God wants all of us. Tiger Woods has played golf since he was, gosh, I think he, yeah, I think it was his second or third year of his life where he first swung a golf club. By four, he was playing weekly. Four years old. Yeah, right? Four years old. So you want to know what somebody's passionate about. You look at their life and you go, oh, I know what they're passionate about. And a lot of people would look at our lives and they'd see that we work a lot of hours of the day. So they might think we're super passionate about work. But look beyond that. Like, why does somebody work? Right? So a lot of times you work because you're trying to provide for people and you're passionate about those people. So the heart steers us in life. Think of some other ways that the heart steers you. What are some ways in life that all of a sudden the heart takes over and we tend to follow? The Holy Spirit, sure. What else? When the heart takes over and the brain and the body kind of follow suit. Right? Falling in love. What do we talk about? I love you, baby, with all my heart. I'm Twitter-pated. I'm in love. So think back now. Maybe it's been a while, some of you who are married. Think back. When you really first started falling in love, when you knew you were falling in head over heels for your, your current spouse, your mate, or maybe the, your last girlfriend or boyfriend, if you haven't married, what was it like? To fall in love. What did it feel like? Butterflies. Did everything else matter a little bit less? Right? Because all of a sudden, all I can think about and all I can feel are things related to this woman. I can remember with Jennifer as we were moving kind of from just dating and getting to know each other again to where we knew it was starting to get serious. And I remember this one night especially because we were sitting out on the balcony of her and her roommate's apartment, and we were talking. And that's all we were doing was talking. No, seriously, we were talking. <laughs> and we were talking, and we were talking. And I remember the sun went across the sky and set, and it wasn't until... Oh, gosh, I don't even know. It, let's just say we probably sat on that balcony and talked about everything for at least four or five hours. I don't do that. <laughs> I get bored easily. I want to go and do things. 
Well, we talked for four or five hours about everything, everything, sharing old stories from our lives, talking about things in the world. Have you had conversations like that? Or maybe it was over the phone when you were falling in love, and you're like, no, you hang up first, no, you. And you're just talking and talking and talking. You're like, I can't believe we've been on the phone for three hours straight. Or nowadays it's texting, and they've been texting all night. The teens are always telling me, like, I was up too late texting my boyfriend. When you're falling in love, like, you care about everything that person has to say. Because you just, you're wrapped up in it. You're like, ah, I, all I want to do is spend time with this girl. I want to quit my job. I don't need to sleep anymore in life. I just want to spend every moment I can with this person. That's falling in love. When, when you're just overwhelmed and wrapped up in somebody else. And that's what God wants. And I read things like that verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And it's repeated often throughout scripture. And I struggle because I'm a perfectionist, I'm a firstborn, I'm somebody who likes to achieve and succeed and feel like I'm good at things. And I read a verse like that that says, love God with everything. And I think, I can't do it. And I get mad. Because I'm so fickle sometimes, you know, and I'll go from loving God to just kind of existing alongside God. And then sometimes even walking away from God or trying to ignore God. And then back in love with God again and really intensely following after him. And then kind of just in that place in life where you take God for granted and you're just going through the motions. And and I get so frustrated with myself because we're all over the map, aren't we, as, as people? just like we are in human relationships. And for some reason, I think when God tells me to love him with all my heart, I think I'm actually going to be able to do that 24-7. No. He knows I'm not going to be able to do that 24-7. He's not asking me to do something impossible. He's saying, come and love me with everything you've got. And guess what happens when I don't? He's patient, and he's committed to me, and he's ready to welcome me back in every moment. I love the book of Hosea in the Bible. Have you read it? Where God uses this crazy life story of one of his prophets. He tells his prophet to go and marry a prostitute. Wow. Could you imagine God like showing up on your doorstep? Hey, you need to go marry this prostitute. Uh, what? <laughs> and so Hosea does. And God tells him in advance, she's going to love you, but she's going to cheat on you. She's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to leave you. And I want you to love her back. And Hosea does. Repeatedly. And it's this perfect picture of how God is with us. God loves us. And he knows in advance that we're going to cheat on him. That we're going to step out on him. That we're going to walk away from him. That we're going to fall in and out of love with him. And he constantly loves us back. He's been called the hound of heaven. Because he pursues us. Like a dog chasing after that that downed bird. He's not going to give up. He's going to chase us down with his love and love us back in and whisper into our ear and sit on the balcony with us and have long, hour-long conversations and enjoy every minute of our, our loving him back. And then as we walk away again or as we block him out or as we take things for granted and we just go through the normal, mundane stuff of life, he'll call back to us again And he'll love us back into his arms. And he'll say, look to me again. Don't you remember how good it is? And we'll go, oh, yeah, I do remember how good it is. God, I'm glad to be here again. How can I forget? And he says, don't worry, we're here. Isn't it great to have a God that loves us like that? And he's patient and he loves us. Mm. 
Let's go to the next slide. This is from 2 Kings, and it's from the translation of the Bible called the Amplified Bible. Anybody ever read or seen one of those? What the Amplified Bible does is it adds extra words in brackets in its uh, translating because it takes into account some of the other meanings and the fuller meanings of the translations, both from Hebrew and Greek, that aren't always captured by our English. So any of the words you see in brackets in the Amplified Bible are parts of that that larger understanding of the translation. So just keep that in mind as we read this. It says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, I beseech you, or I pray strongly before you, I plead with you, God, O Lord, earnestly. Remember now how I have walked before you in faithfulness and truth and with a whole heart entirely devoted to you and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord your God, the God of David, your forefather, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and behold, I will heal you. And with a whole heart also means entirely devoted to you. If I say that I love my wife with my whole heart, she knows that's what I'm trying to say. I'm yours. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to us. I'm not going anywhere. Let's look at the next passage. This is from the Amplified as well. Blessed, happy, fortunate, even to be envied, are the undefiled, those who are upright, truly sincere and blameless in the way, the revealed will of God, who walk with our order, order their conduct and their conversation. They walk in the law of the Lord, the whole of God's revealed will, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied are those who seek, inquire for and of him and crave him with the whole heart. God wants us to crave him with the whole heart. Say that after me. Crave him with the whole heart. That's what God wants. Do we have one more passage there? Excellent. For I will set my eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again into this land, and I will build them up and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them a heart to know, to recognize, to understand, and be acquainted with me, that I am the Lord, and that they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. If the heart is what steers us, if the heart is the center of our being, we, we read these promises of God that he will set his eyes upon us for good. He will build us up. He will give us a heart to know him. So when he says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and we think, I can't do that. Because I'm human, God. I can't, I can't perfectly do that. Listen to what he says there. I will give them a heart to know me. So not only does God say, love me with all your heart, he says, I'm going to give you the heart that's able to love me with all of itself. It's like a heart transplant. I'm going to give you the heart to know me. And if you know the word know, the original language for the word know in the Bible is yada. Everybody say yada. And it actually means to know intimately or to know uh, as, as you would know somebody in a best friend relationship or maybe in a marriage or a love relationship where you know somebody. In fact, a lot of times in the Bible when you read in the Old Testament about sexual relations, Adam and Eve and all that kind of stuff, the word know is used for sex, meaning 
Adam knew Eve, and then she conceived and gave birth. So it's knowing is not just knowing mentally. It's knowing relationally. It's knowing intimately. It's knowing closely. God is going to give us a heart to know him in that way, to know him that closely. If God can give me the heart to love him, you bet I can love him back. The heart is our faith muscle. We're going to skip forward a few slides. There we go. The heart is our faith muscle, and it needs to be exercised. Have you ever heard of something called muscle atrophy? Okay. My wife had ACL surgery once because she blew out her knee on a youth group sledding trip. (laughs) She had ACL surgery, and after she had done that, her leg muscles, especially around her knee, didn't want to do anything. She had muscle atrophy. She had to retrain her legs or her leg how to do what it was supposed to already do. So you go to therapy, right? And they, what they start doing is making your body do what it's supposed to do even without you doing it. So they start moving your leg. They started moving her leg with machines and things like that until she got to the place where she could start to move it more often. And then over time, she's got now gotten to where she can walk, run, jump, dance, all that kind of stuff. But initially, after that surgery, her muscle was toast and wouldn't do it, wouldn't respond. Now, if you have a muscle that's atrophied, if you have a muscle that you're wanting to build up, maybe you just, you want like Popeye arms. You want to be like Charles, who's up at the, the church camp out from our church. You want to have these huge arms. You're going to do a lot of reps with some barbells or dumbbells and just keep building just that one muscle till eventually it's huge. And then you're going to look like a freak of nature. But you focus on that muscle and you build it up. If our heart is our faith muscle, it needs to be exercised. How do you exercise a faith muscle? You have to, you have to do things that require faith. It's really easy for me to love and believe in God when things are going perfect in my life. How about you? But when those days come where I'm really frustrated or when life is throwing a bunch of junk at me and I'm really upset and angry and not sure what to do, that's when my faith muscles screaming out in pain. That's when it's hard. That's where you exercise your faith muscle. You exercise your faith muscle, your heart, your belief in God, your faith. You exercise that in the hard times. But you also exercise it in times of, of risk or opportunity where God says, go and do this. And you're like, I don't know, God. I, I don't want to go and talk to that neighbor about the fact that I believe in you and love you. And then the opportunity slides by, and you're like, oops, I missed it. You exercise your faith muscle when God calls on you to do something that maybe you're not all that comfortable with. Maybe God says, hey, Take some of your income this month and give it to that family in your church that's struggling. And you're like, but I really wanted to spend that and have the family go have this fun day out at the pizza place and playing golf. And God says, no, I really want you to sacrifice it for this other family. And you go, okay. And your heart muscle's getting exercised. Your faith muscle's getting exercised because you're stepping into the opportunity and you're serving God where he calls you. Or maybe he asks you to do something risky. Maybe God says, I want you to take your family and move. I want you to switch jobs. I want you to downsize. I want you to adopt. and I want you to start bringing in foster children into your home. I want you to, I don't know what he's going to challenge us to do. But those risky situations that he challenges us to do, those are where we exercise our faith heart muscle as well. 
And when you exercise a muscle that hasn't been used a lot, it burns. It hurts a bit, doesn't it? It does. And so sometimes we get into that moment God says, I want you to go and talk to this person about me. I want you to go and do this. I want you to go and, and seek the forgiveness of this other person that you, that you hurt. And we go, oh, man, God, I don't like doing that. He's like, I know. That's why it's good for you. Let's go. Let's go exercise that, that faith muscle. Let's go exercise your heart. Don't let your heart be hardened. That is the next blank there. God wants our heart soft, open, and pliable. If you remember in the Old Testament, Pharaoh, when Moses went before him asking to, for uh, Pharaoh to let God's people go, it tells us that Pharaoh's heart got hardened and hardened and hardened. What does that mean to have a heart that's hardened towards God? You don't believe. You reject him. You're not listening. There's no love or faith there. That's true. When your heart really gets hard, you're choosing self, you're choosing something else over God, and your heart gets hard, and he says, love me with all your heart, and your heart's like this dried, crumbly mess. <laughs> you put up walls. That's a good way to look at it. I like that. God doesn't want our heart to be hardened. He wants it soft, open, and pliable. That's why this passage that we read a little bit ago says, guard your heart. Because your heart will get hard. Have you been there? Have you had a hard heart towards God at times? Have you gotten to the place where you're just like, God, I don't want your way. I want nothing to do with it, God. You're asking me to do things I don't want, I'm uncomfortable with. I don't like the way that you look at things. Because I don't think that person deserves your love, God. Maybe you're not that honest, but we get there, don't we? We're like, God, I don't, I can't love people anymore. I can't forgive anymore. God, don't ask that of me. Don't ask me to forgive this person. They, you know what they did, God. And of course, God knows. He's like, yeah, I know what they did. I know what you did, and I forgave you. Okay, that's a good point. When our heart starts getting hard and crusty, we, we take things for granted. We turn back on God. We walk away from God. We turn away from people. It's interesting how, in a lot of ways, the closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to other people as well. But the more our heart gets hard towards God, the more our heart gets hardened towards other people too. <laughs> Taking on the heart of Jesus... Don't try to fix your heart. Take on his heart. That gives me hope. <laughs> when God says, love me with all your heart, I think I can't do it. And he says, I will give you a heart. We read that from Jeremiah. I will give you a heart. Whose heart is God giving us? He's giving us Jesus' heart. Jesus is our example, and that's the kind of heart God is trying to build in us. That's the heart transplant God's giving us. Jesus' heart. And what does Jesus' heart look like? Think about that. Pure, selfless. How do you take on the heart of Jesus? You ask for it. So that's a good place to start. You say, God, give me your heart. When I think of Jesus, I think of forgiveness, right? There's no denying that. Let's go to the next slide. 
A God-shaped heart is a heart filled with forgiveness, ready to forgive. In fact, the Bible says some pretty scary things about forgiveness. It says that you'll be forgiven as far as you forgive other people. Whoa, that gets my attention. The limits of the forgiveness I receive will be like the limits I put on my forgiveness to other people. That's challenging to me. There are people in my life I really have struggled with forgiving. And I'm absolutely certain there are people that have struggled with forgiving me at times too. Forgiveness is hard. But Jesus, God, oh, very forgiving. A God-shaped heart is a heart of forgiveness. We can't become like Jesus unless we forgive like Jesus. The next one is a a God-shaped heart is a contrite heart, which is kind of a a strange word, and I wanted to put it in a different English word because we don't say contrite very often, but I couldn't come up with a word like it. So contrite means what? (laughs) Yeah, if you've got a thesaurus, bust it out now. It means a lot of things. A contrite heart means a heart that's humbled, a heart that's broken, a heart that's open, a heart that's soft, a heart that's... It comes from a passage about David where King David was being challenged by God through his prophet about some sins that he did that were pretty big, involving adultery and killing the husband of the gal that he wanted to sleep with and covering it all up. And when challenged, David came back and he wept before God and he cried out for forgiveness and it said that he had a a broken, contrite heart, a heart that was repentant, a heart that was soft, a heart that knew its place, a heart that was humbled and was looking to God and saying, forgive me, God, because I royally messed up. And he did. But the Bible also tells us that David was, one of the ways that the Bible refers to David that it does to nobody else is that he had a heart after God's own heart. And I love the character of David in the Bible because if you study his life, he was really flawed. (laughs) He had a lot of things going for him, but he had a lot of things that weren't going for him too. And he made a lot of big mistakes, but the Bible tells us that he had a heart after God's own heart. In, In a sense, he had a heart like God's, a heart seeking after God's heart. Even though he was flawed, there was this pattern in David's life of seeking God's way and of having a heart like his. So God, a God-shaped heart, if we're going to take on Jesus' heart in our life, if we're going to love God and love others the way God does, we're going to have a heart of forgiveness, we're going to have a broken, humbled, ready and open heart, a contrite heart, and we're going to have a, a heart that God's way has been literally written on. There are tons of scriptures in the Bible especially in the Old Testament, that talk about the fact that God will take his way, his law, his commands, and write them on our heart if we're his people. So just like I can't love God with all my heart without his help and without him giving me a heart transplant, I can't obey his commandments without him making it possible for me to obey his commandments because I'm human and I struggle. But God's going to write his way, his law, his commands on my heart. He's going to make me more like him. So I'm going to have a heart of forgiveness. I'm going to have a heart that's broken and humbled and serving and ready. And I'm going to have a heart that's consumed with God's way of life. 
that God's written on my heart. I'm also going to have a heart filled with commitment. My heart will be committed to God's way. What was Jesus' prayer right before he was going to go to the cross as he's weeping in the garden? And, and scripture tells us he cried teardrops of blood. He was, he was so overcome. He said, God, if you would, let's do it some other way. Take the cup. But if this is the way you want, I'm committed. And he proved that, didn't he? He was committed. So we'll have a heart committed to his way. We will also have a heart that builds unity together. The New Testament is full of teachings about the fact that our hearts as God's people and our hearts collectively as the church, we have to build unity together. We can't be hearts that are serving ourselves or that are pushing other people down to raise ourselves up. We have to be hearts that are always seeking peace and fellowshipping and connection with each other. Just like in a marriage relationship, when, when my marriage relationship with Jen is suffering, I have to come back at her. I have to come back at us with a heart that's looking to build unity. So I will humble myself. I will apologize. I will make things right. I will do acts of love and service. I will speak to her in a way that shows her that I honor her so that we can rebuild the connection between us, rebuild the closeness and the unity between us just like I should always be seeking to do with God and with other people. If I want to have a heart like Jesus, I'm going to have a heart that rather than pulling people apart through meaningless arguments and through stupid things to get upset about, I want to be a heart that's going to overlook some of that stuff and forgive some of those things so that I can come together in peace and build unity. So we're going to close today with a couple of heart exercises that we can, that we can do in life. Robin, you said that to take on God's heart, what do we have to do first? You said, ask for it. That's right. So if I want to take on a heart like Jesus, if I want to love God with all my heart, I need to pray that God will give me his heart. I need to pray that God will give me that love. I need to pray that God will make it possible. So we've got to pray. We also talked about how you have to exercise your faith muscle. Somebody give me an example of a, of a way that you would exercise your faith muscle, something that God might put in your path in life, and you might have to step into it with faith in order to proceed or obey. What kinds of things in life? Children, Children you bet. What else? Relationships with people? Are relationships with people challenging ever? <laughs> yeah, that's a big place to exercise our faith muscle. How else? Helping somebody who needs help, which might mean you have to sacrifice your time or even more. Maybe some resources. What else? What are some other opportunities God might bring our way to exercise our faith muscle? Pray with a person on the bus or somebody you meet. Uh, maybe it's having a longer conversation than normal with a stranger or getting to know your neighbor a little better, which can be stretching. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. That is the truth. Paying your bills. Have you ever had a time in your life where you didn't know if a paycheck was coming? That's a, that's a great opportunity to work that faith muscle. That's a great opportunity. Or have you ever had a situation where you knew God wanted you to go and do something, but you didn't feel up to the task, or you didn't feel like you had the, school, the skills or the strength necessary to do that? Ever been there? Oh, man, I remember one time 
uh, when I was in college and I was going to a church in Portland and uh, they asked me out of the blue. I was just a college student going to, college, or to church there on Sundays and they came up and they asked me, they said, hey, we have a need this morning. Could you come and help uh, <laughs> lead our three and four-year-old Sunday school class? And I'm like, you don't understand. I love teenagers, young adults and adults, but little kids and I, I had no idea what to do. I remember thinking, okay, so I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to point them towards Jesus, and they're three and four-year-olds. Now I would have a better idea of what to do, considering I have kids around that age. But then, man, I went into that blind and clueless. I couldn't believe they were trusting me with these kids. But that was one of those moments where my faith muscle had to say, okay, God, how am I going to do this? Because it's got to be you, not me. Have you had those moments? That's a faith muscle moment, okay? We've talked about how you have to have a forgiving heart. You know what reps are when you're working out? I should have my buddy Charles here. He's up at the camp out. I, I wish I could have him up here just doing a bunch of reps in front of us. It's when you're doing over and over, lifting a weight, over and over and over and over and over. Then you take a quick break, and then you get back in and you do the reps over again and over again and over again and over again. Then you take a quick break, and you go back and you lift it again and again and again. That's how we should forgive. In fact, wasn't Jesus asked how many times we should forgive somebody or how often to forgive or, or what the limit on our forgiveness should be? And what was his response? Seven times 70 or whatever, and it had nothing to do with the number that that actually equals out to. Jesus was saying, always, always forgive. But God, how about in this situation? This is really bad. And God goes, yep, that situation's really bad. Forgive. I've had to forgive some tough stuff in my life. I'll bet you have too. There's no limit to what God may ask you to forgive. Yeah, that gets back to that building unity thing. Sometimes the only way we get to unity or the only way that a relationship is ever healed is when somebody is willing to make a big sacrificial act of forgiveness, even if the other person doesn't reciprocate it, right? We also need to hook up to the EKG. You know what the EKG is? It's a monitor that they hook up to your heart, and it prints out all these lines, and it tells how your heart is doing. My, my sister had to have a miniature one. Uh, implanted on her for a while because she has a strange, weird heartbeat. And they found by studying her over months and months and months and reading the printouts of this thing as they downloaded it onto the computer, they found that her heart is a heart that rather than just beating normally, boom, 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 or whatever, would go, it would have periods where it would go boom, 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 and then times where it would go boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, for no reason, boom, 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 her heart was just all over the place. And so now they give her medication to help regulate that, and it kind of pulls her heartbeat back down to a normal place. But that's what an EKG does. It takes your heart, and it, and it measures it over time. So how do we hook up to uh, the EKG to monitor our heart? If we're taking on the heart of Jesus, my suggestion is that the best way to monitor our heart is to look at Jesus' heart, as found in Scripture, and then look back at our heart and compare. And then instead of being overwhelmed with what we can't do and the fact that we struggle and that it's hard, instead, don't look at it and just stop there and go, I'll never make it. Stop there and pray and say, God, give me your heart. We're not talking about fixing your heart. We're talking about taking on Jesus' heart. 
We're talking about God literally giving us a heart transplant of a better heart than the heart that we have. So when I find my heart and Jesus' heart to be this far apart, I need to just ask God, give me your heart again. Give me a heart more like Jesus. Help me to get past myself. Help me to be loving and forgiving and kind and patient. Oh, patience is hard for me. And finally, we can test for hardness. Like, you know, poke your heart. How hard is it? How hard is it? I know we can't poke our spiritual heart, but how hard is my heart right now? And then you think about things. And I think a lot of times the way to test for the hardness of your heart is to see how you are in relationships with other people. I can know real quick. So I've got, you guys know, I've got a six-year-old and I've got twins that are three. And there are times where I love them deeply and want nothing more than those moments where they jump into my lap and they crawl all over me and they just want to spend time with me. And when they're saying, Daddy, Daddy, guess what, Daddy, Daddy, and they won't stop talking and I love it, I eat it up. But then there's also those moments where my heart's gotten hardened and it's usually when life has gotten stressful or I feel overwhelmed at work or I'm struggling in a relationship with somebody else and they come to me in the same way and my heart's in a different place. And I'm like, Gavin, just one minute of silence after I get home. I just need a break. Have you been there? (laughs) How is your heart responding to other people? Think about that and then and see where how hard your heart is in that moment. And there are times where I have to literally, when my kids come at me like that and I'm not there, where I have to say, God help. Just change my heart right now. I'm not feeling it, God, but I want to be there for them in the way that they need. And I want to enjoy this again, but I'm not there. So help me, God. And he does. And it's not always instant. And it's definitely not painless. But it happens. So God says, love me with all your heart, all your might, all your soul. Be overwhelmed by me. Be captivated by me. I love NFL football. When the Seahawks are on, there's nothing better that I, in my life than sitting down and watching my guys play. With a crying towel sometimes. <laughs> when the Seahawks are on, I'm captivated. I'm into the game. I'm cheering for the team. I'm yelling at the refs. I'm, I'm in that game. I'm captivated. And God wants to be God wants to captivate me, and he wants my heart to just cry out to him for more. God is good, isn't he? But we take things for granted. We take him for granted. Tell me a way that God's been good to you lately. Your daughter. Were you guys able to hear that? She was sharing that God has reminded her of ways in the past 
of times that he has helped her to work through things, of times where he has answered her and been there for her, and that he reminds her now, and it's encouraging now to be reminded of what he's done then. Isn't that, that's one more example, guys, of how God loves us into the place where we can love him back. It's not about you perfecting your heart. It's about us taking on the heart that he offers. You struggling with loving God and believing in God? Welcome to the human race. It happens. Are you at a place where you're questioning God or you have a few things that you'd like to discuss with him and say, God wouldn't have been better if it had gone this way? That's human reality. We are humans and we're coming before God and we're going to have those moments. And he's going to lovingly love us in. And when we take him for granted at times, he will point out to us, hey, do you remember when I was there for you in this way? One of the ways that he did that in scripture is he kept taking the people of Israel after they would grumble and complain at him. And he'd say, remember how I brought you out of Egypt? Remember how I brought you out of slavery? Remember how I fed you in the desert? Remember how I healed you? Remember how I made you my people? Remember how you used to be slaves? Remember how God loves us into a place where we can love him. He gives us his heart so that we can then have that heart and respond to God. I think that's awesome. It's not this long list of ways that I have to fix my heart. I just have to take on what he's already offering to love him back. Yeah. That's very true. Remember God. Remember me. I grabbed this rock because I knew that after the campout's done and I come back, I'm going to be back into regular life and things are going to get busy. And I wanted to remember a few moments of joy standing on a freezing cold beach in the wind with a bunch of kids who had no idea how to cast their line. And it was going all over the beach, but they were still having a a great time. And watching my six-year-old son, Gavin, with those kids as they're laughing and embracing life, and all we caught was jellyfish. And it was the best five minutes, ten minutes or an hour that we could remember. I don't know. We didn't try tasting it. I grabbed that rock to remind me. And I'm not saying you have to collect rocks in life, but you're right. If we remember how good God is, then won't we be captivated by him again? Because I know he's done great things for you. I know he's done things in your past that blew you away. We just got to remember that if he did that then, he's going to continue to do those kinds of things in our life. It's not like he loves us and then his love fades. Let's take on his heart more. And when God says, love me with all your heart, instead of getting all bogged down and going, I can't do it, my heart's limited... Just go, okay, I'm going to give it my best shot. Bring me, bring me that heart that's going to be able to do that, God. I'll take it on. Let's exercise that faith muscle. Let's forgive. Is there somebody you need to forgive this week? Maybe even today? I can tell you as somebody who's been recently forgiven for something, man, it feels good to receive forgiveness, doesn't it? It feels great when somebody offers that to you and you know you don't deserve it. You're just like, thank you. God, I want to have a heart more like yours 
and I struggle because my heart gets all crusty and dry, and, and just like when I get exasperated or I don't have any time or energy or love left in my heart for my kids sometimes, God, I, I have to confess to you right now, God, that I get that way with you. And I give you the leftovers in my life. God, I don't want to give you the leftovers of my time or my energy or my passion. I want to be more consumed, captivated, and overwhelmed with you. I want, God, when people to look at my life, for them to see that you're up high on my list of priorities based on how I spend my time, based on the things that excite me in life, God, based on the things that I pour my energy into. I want people to see that I am in love with you. And God, I'm going to have, we, we are going to have a lot more of those moments where we stray from you or where we feel far away from you or where we struggle. God, please love us back into your arms in an intimate way so that we can know you face to face and be loved by you and then love in response to you, God. You are love. And when we act in love, God, it shows our love for you. Help us to make those actions, to exercise our faith muscle, to love, to forgive, to serve, to humble ourselves, God. Help us to stop pushing other people down to make ourselves feel better. Help us to stop judging people in our mind or our heart as we drive down the street. Help us not to look at other people and go, man, if only they got it together. God, none of us have it together without you. And we're so glad to just come into your arms and say, God, I want to love you, but I, it's hard. God, I want to love you more, but I feel unable. God, make us comfortable coming to you and asking to take on your heart. Enable us to do the things that we struggle with. And God, love us back into your arms just like that that book of Hosea gives us a picture of God. When we cheat on you, when we walk away from you, when we harden our hearts to you, God, when we turn our back on you, love us back into your arms, God, please. And help us be so overwhelmed with your forgiveness and love that we can't help but share that with other people too. Help us to be more forgiving, more giving, more serving. And, and most of all, God, help us to be more overwhelmed with your goodness. God, I pray that we would walk out of here today in a way that people would see that we, are, that we are in love with a good God and that we are blessed by a good God and that we're trusting in a good God. Amen.